Amen. Before you sit down, well, Michael beat me to it. I want to read Acts 2, 42 through 47 that we've been studying these last few weeks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can have a seat. All the kiddos, time to go. You guys can head on up to celebrate kids. Boy, that is a lot of fun to watch them all leave, isn't it? Well, good morning to the rest of you who evidently are older. We're going to continue this morning in the series that we've been going through about gathering. And if you've been here for the past month or so, or if you've been watching online, you've probably heard this phrase. And if you're new today, this is what I'm talking... Well, if you're new today, welcome. And I know Andrew already did that, but we're glad you're here. We've been using this phrase, gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. So that's what we're called to. We gather to draw closer, to know him more deeply, to connect with his presence, and then we're to go and share that presence through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit in us and through us. We gather because that's what we're designed to do. That's how God created us. We're supposed to have connection with him and connection with one another in fellowship and community. That's our reality, that we need God and we need one another. And Andrew explained last week that the church in Acts 2 was a gathering of people that were all about Jesus. And as I read Acts 2, the same passage that we've been reading every week, it says they were committed to doing that together. It talks about the apostles' teaching, about fellowship, about breaking of bread, and about prayer. And so, if you've been here, you, you know that through this series, we've been spending two weeks on each of those things. Two weeks on the apostles' teaching, two weeks on fellowship. This is our second week on the breaking of bread. And if you're paying attention, you know what's coming next week. Anybody? Prayer. One person. Thank you. One person. So, Andrew taught last week about how important it is for us to gather together, and share meals together, but do that in the name of Jesus. And then, like he had mentioned, we got to go out and we got to practice just that with the Walking Taco fundraiser. And I too want to just take a minute to thank all of you. It was so cool to see the youth leaders investing time and energy in our kids, but yet our kids serving so eagerly, and then all of you supporting that. Taking a message and then actually putting it into practice. But I'm also curious, Andrew talked last week about how his family does it with praying before a meal where you put the number behind your back. Did anybody try that? A couple people? Yeah. I tried it last week, and one of the kids said, well, if we all just pick the same number and we don't get it, then Judd has to pray. <laughs> Great plan. I don't have a problem praying. But then I said, here's the deal. If you all pick the number and you get it, you all have to pray. 
and you could just see the blood leave her face. That's not such a good idea after all. But today we're going to focus on the Lord's Supper or on communion. And then in a little while, as you can tell, we're going to take communion together. And if I'm being honest, I have had a million different ways go through my mind this week about how to approach this. And I ended up in a place that I never thought I would end up, and that's starting with the book of Deuteronomy. And if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, just, if you just look at the word itself, the word Deuteronomy means the second law. So Deutero means two or second, and Namion is the word for law. So it's the second law. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean it's a new law or another law. It's a recap or the highlights of the law that Moses gives to the second generation. Because as you read through the Old Testament, you see the first generation, they die off in the wilderness. And now the, the second generation is all grown up. And so Moses is spending time reminding them of all God has done for them and all his commands before they enter into the promised land. And we see that Deuteronomy is a very important book, not that all the other books aren't important, but we see Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book, which is fascinating. And I also think that it works well to talk about Deuteronomy as we segue into communion, because the entire theme, the overarching theme of the book of Deuteronomy is don't forget. Do not forget. Remember all God has done for you, all he's going to do for you, all he's currently doing for you. Do not forget. And we see that, we see that theme, or we see that commandment seven times in the book of Deuteronomy, and you shall remember, and you shall remember. In, verse, or in chapter four, we see it two times. In verse nine, it says, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. And then a few verses later, we see in uh, verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God has made with you. So I love how this book over and over and over says, do not forget People, we have to remember, we have to remember, we have to remember. Because if we look ahead, what did Jesus say to his disciples at the Last Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget what I'm doing. Don't forget what I will do. Always remember. So one thing that we all have in common is our ability to remember, right? We all have a memory. Granted, some of us are much better at it than others. But our, our memory, our ability to remember, is taking something in, storing it, filing it away, but also our ability to recall it, to bring it back, to share it. And one of the things I discovered in researching that this week is there are some scientists that believe that we remember, that we file away every experience in our life, that our brain takes in every sight, every smell, every touch, everything we encounter, it's all in there. 
but we don't always get it back out. Scientific American put out an article that says your brain consists of one billion, with a B, neurons. And each one of those billion neurons has a thousand different connections. So if you do the math, that's a trillion connections that your brain makes to help you remember and recall everything you encounter. Now that right there is fascinating. If you think of that and still don't believe there's a God, I, I don't know what else is going to convince you. But all of those neurons are designed to help us store and recall. And so that equals, this term means nothing to me, maybe it will to you, but I'll explain it further. Our brain stores about 2.5 petabytes, or petabytes, I don't even know what that term is. But luckily they went on to explain it another way. If your brain, think of it as like a digital recorder for your TV, or like a TiVo, or whatever you have. With the amount of storage that our brains have, you can store over 300, no, what is that? 3 million hours of television shows. 3 million hours of television shows. So if you do the math, you have to let your TV run continuously for over 300 years before you use up all the storage that we're capable of remembering. But on the flip side of that same coin, our short-term memory is very limited. And if you're like me, it's very limited. But science says we can, rec we can recall only about seven things at a time. So we can store 300 years of television, but we can only grab about seven of those things and recall them. So we're lucky that telephone numbers are seven digits. 9475671. That was my grandparents' phone number when I grew up, and I haven't called it in probably 15 years. If that's your phone number, I'm sorry, I just gave it out publicly. But I can remember that, and I can recall that. Now, there's times where we can recall things better than others. But here, there was another study that I found fascinating. If, are there any left-handed people here? If you're left-handed, raise your left hand. Studies have shown that you have a better memory than right-handed people. So give yourself a round of applause. Yeah. yeah. We now expect more from you. <laughs> My daughter's mad at that because she raised her left hand. So why is memory so important? And I know I'm supposed to be talking about communion. I get that. I'm right-handed, but I haven't forgot where we're going. But our, our memory is so important because it, it's our point of reference. It's our point of reference. In some ways, it helps define who we are because we remember where we've come from, all the experiences in our lives, the lessons we've learned. And without that memory, we can lose touch of all of that, where we've come from, who we are what we believe. If you've ever been around anyone that has Alzheimer's disease, it is just heartbreaking because they've lost that point of reference. They've forgotten where they come from. I had a grandfather that had it. And as he lived in the nursing home, he was convinced that he lived in a grocery store. 
And so he would spend his days walking up and down the hallways of the nursing home looking for something on a grocery store shelf. It was so heartbreaking because he had lost touch of where he came from. He'd lost touch of who he was. Now, he would have flashes of memory. Like, he, you would walk in and he would recognize you and you'd be like, whoa, where'd that come from? And the only thing that he truly remembered every day was every time he would hear a telephone ring, he would say, if that's my wife, I'm not here. <laughs> and my grandma would so appreciate that. We see in the Gospels, Jesus say to his disciples, to his, to his followers, take this bread, take this wine, take these elements in remembrance of me. And just like we see in the Old Testament, the children remembering the Passover, remembering the blood over the doorposts, remembering that time, remembering what they had been delivered from. And Jesus is saying, you should remember when you come here, all that I have done for you when we do this. We don't find in scripture, we never see Jesus say, I want you to remember me by building a huge ivory tower. Don't build a fancy mausoleum lined with gold to remember me. Jesus doesn't say, you know where I gave the Sermon on the Mount? Build a monument there for me so you remember. Jesus simply says, I want you to remember me by sharing a meal together, by breaking bread together. Take these common everyday items and do it together and do it in remembrance of me. The children of Israel took the Passover meal to remember how God had delivered them. And when we take these elements, we're, we're called to remember who Jesus was, what he's done for us. But he also says, when you do this, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He doesn't say how often, right? Are we supposed to do it every day? Do we do it every week? Do we once a month? It's been a great debate in the church for, well, probably since Jesus said it. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a, not a church thing to do, a thing to, to check off the list so we can say, yeah, we did communion once a quarter. It's not a church thing to do. It's designed for us to deliberately push aside everything else in our life and give thanks and to remember but that means we have to truly push aside everything in our life. We have to forget about what happened last week. We have to forget about worrying about what's to come this week. That means we have to put down our phones. That means you have to stop wondering when I'm going to stop talking so you can get on with your day. Stop thinking about ourselves. And just for a moment, like Deuteronomy says, do not forget. Always remember Another thing I found this week is science has proven that as humans, the one thing that we think about more than anything else is ourselves, which is interesting. I mean, it's probably good, 
in some ways that we think about ourselves, right? We have to protect ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves and so on. But there's probably times where we take that too far. Probably more than we care to admit. And then we have the people that take it to an extreme, right? We call those people narcissists. And as I thought about it, I'm like, I don't even know what narcissist means. So I looked it up. It comes from Greek mythology. There was a man named Narcissus. And he saw his reflection in a pool of water. And he was so taken by how beautiful he was. How awesome he was. That he could not stop admiring himself. To the point where he eventually drowned in that water. So that's where the term narcissist comes from. When you're so proud of who you are and cannot think of anything else. So this, in a way, is a marker on the road for us to say, okay, we're stopping right here. We're putting everything else aside. We're putting all others' thoughts aside. And Jesus, it's all about you. We do this in remembrance of you. Because here's the reality, friends. If we fail to remember the past, we will fail to appreciate the present. And if we fail to remember the past, we will fail to anticipate the future. And here's what I mean by that. If we read in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, the Apostle Paul says these words to the church in Corinth. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus is talking in the present tense. He's saying, listen, guys, whenever you do this, whenever you do this in the future, remember the past. Remember the past. Remember all that I have done for you. Remember the, the beautiful and wonderful covenant relationship that we now share. And the tricky thing about the past when we try to remember is we can go into one of two ditches. We can only remember the past and we can live there, or we can simply forget the past. And what I mean, what I mean about living there, we have probably all met the person who loves to share their faith story from years ago. They talk about how excited they were when they came to know Jesus how in love with him they were, how on fire for Jesus they were. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just shared my story with somebody from Oskaloosa this week. And my story, my encounter with Jesus probably for the first time that was real was 20 years ago-ish. And I still can't tell the story without getting choked up. And you can ask staff, because every time we get somebody new on staff, we sit in a room and we tell our stories and get to know each other better. And every time it gets to me, I can just feel the eyes in the room like, here we go, Judd's about to cry. And Judd cries. 
But what I mean is when those people are stuck in the past, when they live in the past, when they're hanging on to that encounter was so real, it was so on fire. But we have to ask him, what's it like now? Are you only remembering the past? Are you living in the past and missing the beautiful covenant relationship that we should have here in the future or in the present? And if we only live in the past, we cannot appreciate the present. Another example of that is if you take the children of Israel, right? As they wandered through the wilderness, they griped, they complained. We're hungry, we're tired of manna, we want the full menu, blah, blah, blah. They had forgotten all they had been freed from. They had forgotten all that God had done for them. Now, their situation was tough, I'll give them that. But they had forgotten. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do the same. When we accept Jesus into our hearts, we get so excited, right? Because we understand the benefits of what we're getting. We're freed from our sin. We're freed from the power of sin. Jesus tells us, whatever trial you go through in your life, I'm going to go through it with you. And if you seek first my kingdom, all will be given to you. The problem is we can either only remember that in the past, forget it now, or we just live in that beautiful moment and miss it now. We fail to appreciate the present. And if we fail to remember the past, we will fail to anticipate the future. Communion isn't just about looking back. It's also about looking ahead. So if you look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, this is the verse right after what I just read a minute ago. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mark 14, 25 tells us, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the cup of the vine, or from the fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Absolutely, we remember the cross. We remember his death. We remember his resurrection. We remember his ascension. But we must not forget. We must always remember that he's coming back again. He's coming back again to make all things right. One last thing I want to touch on is when we look at the gospel writing in Luke about the Last Supper, it says, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus was surrounded by his disciples, and they were broken people. Right? We see one of them, Judas, is about to betray him. Jesus knew that. Jesus sat there and listened to all these guys gripe about which one of them is the greatest amongst them. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. In the midst of all of this brokenness, Jesus says, I want nothing more than to meet you here. To break bread with you. To drink from this cup. And friends, the same is, the, is true for us here today. 
Jesus longs to meet us here. He is eager to meet us here. Even in all of our flaws, even in all of our differences, he wants to meet us here. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? That word participation in there is the koinonia that Andrew talked about last week. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a koinonia, a participation in the blood of Christ, and not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share one loaf. And when we read through the account of the Last Supper and we see these same words used in other meals that Jesus was a part of, like the feeding of the 4,000 or the feeding of the 5,000, it says he took and he broke and he gave. And those same words are what we need to remember now, is that Jesus took our sin. Jesus took the sin of the world and his body was broken for us to give us restoration, to give us salvation in his name. So it is vital that we give thanks, that we do this in remembrance for all he has done, all he is doing, and all that he will do when he comes back and makes all things right. So that's how we're going to close today. I'm going to invite Matt and Anna up wherever they might be. So they're going to come up and they're going to sing for a few minutes. And I want to invite you into a space where we can do just that. That we can push aside just for a moment everything else in our lives. Focus solely on Jesus. Give thanks and remember what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. As you came in, you probably noticed there's note cards and pens uh, on your chairs. And those are simply there in case you want to write down. If you want to journal, what comes to your heart? Or if you want to write Thanksgiving to somebody else to encourage them, that's what that's there for. We didn't have enough pens for every chair, so if you need a pen, you can be like the church in Acts 2 and give up what you have for someone else. And then in a little bit, I will come back up and I will set up communion. Communion will look a little bit different this morning. So we're going to actually have ushers that will dismiss you by rows. So when we start communion, you don't have to jump up and stand in line. You can just simply be and remember and give thanks. There will be uh, gluten-free options at every station this morning. I know we usually have it just in the middle, but we'll have it at every station so you don't have to go out of your way to find it. And then to close, we're going we're gonna to do what it says in Matthew and Mark. It says, after the Last Supper, after they broke bread together, after they drank from the cup together, they sang a hymn before they went out. So that's what we're going to do. So as we move into this time of reflection and giving thanks and remembrance, let me lead us into that with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks. 
We do all of this in remembrance of you, the joy of knowing who you are, knowing that you are real. And Jesus, I pray over this place, I pray over these people in your name, that whatever the enemy would try to do to distract us from you, to keep our minds and our hearts occupied with things other than you, we rebuke that here and now. That this time, that this space is solely for you, for us to give thanks, to remember your death, your resurrection, your ascension, and our looking ahead to you coming again and making all things right. And we do that, like the church we talk about next to, we do that with glad and sincere hearts. And if there's, if there's anyone here that hasn't given your life to Jesus, and you feel called to do that, would you just pray the simple prayer, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I surrendered my life to you, Jesus. I long and I accept for you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Jesus, we surrender it to you. Just like the Psalm of, or the verses out of Psalm 115. It's not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory for your love and your faithfulness. Come, Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. History, the nails in your hands, the hands that saved me. The grave was sealed, and death lost its sting as the lion roared in victory. The sacrifice that changed history, the nails in your hands, the hands that saved me.